You're listening to Pod Suey, the week's top story served a la carte. Subscribe at thegreatvoice.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Governor Gretchen Whitmer and Republican challenger Tudor Dixon took part in their final gubernatorial debate on Tuesday night. Both candidates appeared on WJR the next morning, starting with the governor on Paul W. Smith. Well, debate number two, the uh, the second and final debate taking place, a CNN poll conducted by SSRS that was released uh, before the debate showed Governor Whitmer leading the challenger Tudor Dixon among likely voters, uh, the governor in the lead 52% to 46%. Now, we've heard other polls that had it as close as 2%, and frankly, you're going to hear a lot of different polls. The only poll that matters is the one you make happen by going and voting. Now, I know 700,000 have already voted, uh, and uh, and we'll see how all that turns out. Uh, somebody who will be watching uh, is one of the uh, participants in the debate last night. Our governor of the great state of Michigan, Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Good morning, Governor. Good morning, Paul W. How do you think it went for you last night? You know, I think debates are important. That's why I immediately, when the primary was over, agreed to two, threw them on the calendar, said it's important for the people of Michigan to see the contrast here. And I think it's a sharp contrast, whether it's women's rights or it's about public education or it is about economic development tools. We offer very different visions of the future, and I'm grateful that I can show up with some receipts to show people what we've done and lay out the plan for where we could be headed. I think it's time to step on the accelerator. What did you uh, knowingly do differently in this debate uh, as opposed to the first debate? You know, I I prepared the same way. You know, I mean, I think it's uh, I'm not sure that I took any sort of a different tactic. I think that, you know, we have a very stark choice in front of us about what what who we want leading the state. And I'm so grateful to have been here. I'm grateful for all the Republicans and independents who support me and police organizations and business groups. And I take no no vote, no person, no community for granted. So I'm I am running for reelection on a vision for, you know, what we can do in the next four years to set us up for long term success for future generations. And to me, as a viewer, uh, and I feel I know you pretty well because we've uh, had this interaction actually long before you were governor. We we I can picture being up in Lansing interviewing you uh, and all of that. But I think you came out swinging much harder this time and you kept that smile, which is very disarming and very strong. You kept the smile on your face even when you, even when you were pummeling her. <laughs> Well, I would say, you know, I I try to be the happy warrior that Michiganders deserve, you know, to stay focused on the fact, to really be strong when when it's absolutely necessary, but never to be unkind. Um, You know, I, I think that's important. We want leaders who have the courage of their convictions and make their case, but also um, don't don't treat people poorly. And so that's the, the balance I'm always trying to strike. Your your response again uh, to Tudor Dixon when she basically said, well, look, you've been you'll have been in office for four years. All these things you say you want to do, uh, one would have thought you would have done them already. But of course, we know that uh, wanting to do something means because you're governor, not king or queen, you can't just step up and do it. You have to get a lot of people to work with you to do it. 
That's right. I mean, this is a democracy. And despite all the differences that the legislature and I've had over the years, we've also found common ground in some really important ways. You look at Magna's announcement yesterday about the enhanced investments they're making in Michigan, the our next energy gigafactory that's going in Van Buren Township. These are how we secure our economic future. My opponent says we shouldn't use economic development tools. She wants to unilaterally disarm. I think that's dangerous. I think that it compromises our future and undermines the strength of our economy. Because at the end of the day, it's all about do we have good paying jobs you can raise a family on? Are we going to be innovators and lead in the cutting edge of this mobility sector transition? We are. We must continue that. Because if we don't win this decade, we might be left behind for a generation. And that's why the, the stark difference in just our philosophy around economic development is, is so important for people to understand. So is there anything that you wish would have come up in the first debate or last night's debate, something that you were anxious to address and didn't get a chance to? I want you to take this opportunity to fill in that gap, if there is one. Well, I do think that, you know, I was disappointed we didn't have an honest conversation about democracy and voting. I think that we are in a precarious moment in this country. And election deniers, people who stoke violence and spread conspiracy theories and won't accept the will of the people, pose an incredible threat to us all. And my opponent has pushed on all of those fronts, and I think that that's something um, that the, the public needs to know. Not accepting the outcome of a past election that's been audited 250 times and not pledging to accept the outcome of a future election shows that it's um, the, the person in the party thinks they're more important than the people. And I think that's dangerous. And I, I wish we would have had the opportunity to talk a little bit about that last night. Did it throw you at all a little bit? Uh, and I'm not sure this went over uh, particularly well. Uh, and some people say it didn't, uh, in fact. But when she pointed out your lieutenant governor was an election denier on another election another time. Well, you know, it's not being an election denier to ask for a recount. And once he got the recount and it was clear where the votes were, he absolutely accepted. He's not pointing back and saying, I won that and Janice Winfrey's not the clerk. That's not what he does. He asked for a recount. He got it. He accepted the results. And that is what democracy is all about. What it's not about is seeing all the audits and still maintaining that the current president wasn't duly elected. That is denying the will of the people. The people have spoken. That's how this democracy works. And I will accept whatever result happens on November 8th. And we should expect anyone else who's running to lead a democracy to do the same at a minimum. You are very savvy. You do what you do very well. But were you, uh, even you, a little surprised at how strong Tudor Dixon turned out to be in these debates after after all of the information that was out there in your commercials and commercials from people who support you really painted up what appears to be a totally different picture? Yeah, you know, I, I think I had not met her. I don't know her very well. Um, I will say that, you know, she showed up and and gave her best, and we had a spirited debate, and I think that's what the people deserve. And and you'll agree that, boy, this time more than ever, there's a real difference between the two of you and uh, Michiganders and Michiganians both. <laughs> we'll have we'll have a real choice this time around. Don't you agree? 
I do, and I, I hope, you know, I, I'm asking Michiganers and Michiganians for their support. <laughs> We're doing good work, and it's time to throw our foot on the gas. Governor Gretchen Whitmer, we wish you good luck. Thank you so much for being with us, as always. Thanks, Paul W. Have a great one. You have a great one, too. They are Both candidates are going to be working very hard over these next two weeks, that's for sure, and you'll stay in touch with all of it on WJR. Republican challenger Tudor Dixon broke down Tuesday night's debate with both Paul W. Smith and All Talk with Tom Jordan and Kevin Dietz. You heard it last night on WJR as well as an exclusive uh, debate right after that, the congressional debate with Carl Marlinga and John James. But the first debate in the seven to eight hour uh, on WJR and on television everywhere. And uh, it was very important. It was the Second debate between the two people running for governor of the great state of Michigan. Uh, We spoke to the governor earlier. Now we speak with Tudor Dixon, the GOP gubernatorial candidate. Tudor, welcome back to the Paul W. Smith Show. Thank you for having me. How do you think you did last night? Uh, I think the debate was strong. I'm glad we were able to hold the governor accountable for the last four years and push back on some of the dishonesty throughout the night. I'll tell you uh, what we saw in more so than maybe in a long time or in memory. We see that there's a real difference between the two of you, a a chance to choose a philosophical bent that is more in line with our own beliefs than I think ever before. I've never seen such a delineation, such a, a choice before between two people. Anybody who would say their vote doesn't matter, what difference does it make? They're all the same isn't paying attention. I think you would agree. Absolutely. You saw her flippant responses when it came to parents and parents' rights. Obviously, she said that school hadn't been out, that school was only out for three months, belittling parents' complaints about the fact that their children are so behind. But also this main complaint that we're hearing across the state of parents' rights and education, parents wanting someone to stand up against this woke agenda in our schools. And she made it very clear overwhelmingly clear that she is not going to standing and set that she thinks that the books in school should be there if they if the school deems it's necessary to use it with the children this was a, a shocking admission from the governor last night we've asked her multiple times where she stands on this she made it clear last night she doesn't stand with the parents was there anything that you wish would have been asked or now in retrospect after thinking about it that you would like to bring up or mention or point out here or even just reiterate from last night? I would have liked to have the opportunity to speak more about the crime situation in the state of Michigan and being tough on crime. We have a situation across the state where we have our jails completely full and our prisons are, they're talking about closing prisons down. It's not because of lack of crime. It's not because we should have space in our prisons. It's because we're not tough enough on crime. We are letting people have lesser violations, keeping them in jail. And our sheriffs across the state are saying this is outrageous. It's to keep numbers looking low. And our jails are full. We don't have the the expertise to take care of the mental illness that we're seeing in our jails. We, we went to the sheriff's convention on Sunday. They said we invited Gretchen Whitmer. She chose not to come. They said Governor Snyder never missed a meeting, and she has not come at all. We talked to the jail coordinators, and they said we've never 
had a chance to speak to Governor Whitmer. And they said, you have no idea the things that we're dealing with in the jails. And the governor is completely ignoring us. Of course she is. She vetoed funding for additional corrections officers. She has no idea what we're dealing with across the state when it comes to crime. And I really would have liked to have her address why she's ignoring it. This is a question uh, uh, regarding maybe style or maybe something going on behind the scenes. Uh, Not about your substance, uh, because you were very clear on all of that. Uh, But Tudor Dixon, it it seemed to me, well, the governor came out with a bigger smile and bigger swinging. She was swinging uh, a lot more uh, after going through the first debate and having to hear that a lot of people felt you won that first debate. So she was obviously reacting to that. The headline uh, this morning, again, from Nolan Finley and Caitlin Buss, Whitmer swings harder But Dixon has a strong night, so they still have you doing very, very well. But my question is, was there something on your mind? Were you not feeling well? Was there something bothering you at the start of the debate? Because you weren't smiling as much as you seemed to in the first. Now, these are style questions. And you also, uh, as opposed to what the governor did, which was she looked at the camera, meaning looked right at us from the beginning. And in the beginning... You were looking off to the side. I'm guessing you were looking at the people who were asking the debate questions. I'm not sure. Was the light on the camera that that was in front of you like they're supposed to be? Was that light on so you knew which camera was on you? I just think think that we went into the night knowing that we had to be I had to be very serious. I mean, look at what we just found out from the NAEP scores. Michigan is in the bottom 10 in the nation in education. And here this governor is acting like education is doing great in the state of Michigan, that she's invested in education, that she's happy with where we are. Look, Florida is three, number three and four for reading and math. Michigan is in the ninth worst, and she's not taking this seriously. I think it's pathetic that she would come in smiling and acting all jovial in a situation when we just got some of the worst news we've received in the state in years. And then she comes out and she says she didn't lock down our schools. I thought it was a very serious night. I thought that the my posture was appropriate. I thought that at times she, she was flippant and and she was dismissive of how parents have felt about what's going on in the state. Well, later in the debate, you did start looking right at us. That'd be the camera. You started looking right at us instead of the people asking the questions. And I think that, to me, that's more effective, talking directly to the people. But to be that as it may, I do agree it was a serious night with some very serious information being revealed and being very concerning, and that's why you jumped on it as you did. Anything else that, uh, I I know you talked about the crime and schools, and anything else that we should know before we let you go? I just think that people had a real opportunity to see that that Gretchen Whitmer is going to continue to be dishonest about her record. She's going to to continue to be dishonest in her ads. I mean, we called last night for her to remove the ad saying that she gave out $400 checks because she sat on stage and said, I don't have the power to give out those checks. Well, then, Gretchen, you should stop stop advertising that you are, because the fact of the matter is she'll tell you all day long that she's going to put money back in your pocket. But if she could take 100 percent of your paycheck for taxes, she'd find a way to spend it. Well, you certainly were strong and decisive. We congratulate you on that. Wish you best of luck in all of this. And by the way, I've asked this question of everyone, uh, most of my guests today, and I can't remember if we've talked about this before, but are you choosing Michigan or Michigan State Saturday? Uh, You know what? I love both teams. Oh, good answer. 
You're the only one that <laughs> you're the only one that has said that. Uh, very good political answer. All right, you love both teams. Good for you. That's smart. Uh, because we have plenty of Michigan fans and plenty of Michigan State fans tuned in. Tudor Dixon, GOP gubernatorial candidate. Again, we wish you well. Thank you so much. Welcome back to the program. Tudor Dixon and Gretchen Whitmer met for the second time last night in a pretty enthusiastic debate between the two gubernatorial candidates. And, Kevin, it was a showcase, again, of how these two candidates really differ from one another. They both had some sharp criticisms of one another's policies. Abortion came up, so did education, so did the economy. Yeah, and this one was on TV in Southeast Michigan, which means many people watched Tudor Dixon in action for the first time. Both Tudor Dixon and the governor looked comfortable and confident on stage and were able to show what separates them during a really civil one-hour debate. And joining us now is Tudor Dixon, the Republican candidate for governor. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you being here. The second debate feel any different for you than the first one? How do you think you did? I think it was strong. I wanted to be able to hold her accountable for the last four years and be able to speak for the people across the state of Michigan. And we got a lot of good feedback from folks saying that they felt that we I, I had been able to hold her accountable and speak up for the issues that were important to them. Something that jumped out to me was uh, education, uh, how badly Michigan is doing and what is going to be done moving it forward. And also the question about uh, books in uh, Dearborn schools. I I thought that was very interesting and the responses were interesting. Was that a question you were glad to see the moderators ask? We've been wondering where the governor stands on this for months because we've been calling her out and saying, where do you, what are you going to do for parents who are so concerned about this woke content in our schools? And she said nothing. And last night she made it clear that she felt that it was OK. She wasn't going to do anything about it, even made some flip comments about how books don't hurt children. And I think parents now know that if they're looking to Gretchen Whitmer to stand up for them and make sure they have a voice in their child's education, she's going to back off. You know, there's a a real disagreement, obviously, between you uh, and her on how well Michigan has bounced back uh, from the pandemic. Uh, She claims that Michigan has done the best out of all the states in the country and rebounding economically from the COVID pandemic. You say Michigan was and still is one of the worst, both for job recovery and for small businesses. Uh, Why do you believe you're right and that she's wrong? Well, facts get in the way of Gretchen Whitmer's arguments every time. The fact of the matter is that we lost 82,000 jobs. They haven't come back. If you look at surrounding states, we've lost more small businesses than any of the surrounding states. In fact, the only state that we're on par with is New York, New York State, some, a state that I don't really want to be matching them on any issues right now. We have a rise in crime, and our kids are horrifically behind the fact that she hasn't said, gosh, we really haven't done anything to get our kids back on track. We just got the NAEP scores, and we're seeing that Michigan is the ninth worst in the nation. We're in the bottom 10 in the nation for education. How can you possibly be satisfied with where we've come back, how we've come back from the pandemic? Overall reports tell us that financially we're in trouble, and when it comes to education, we're in trouble. The fact that she came out last night and said, oh, our schools were only closed for three months. Are you kidding me? Hmm. Parents all night sent me messages saying we're appalled that she would actually stand on that stage and say that when Ann Arbor, Detroit and Flint were closed at the beginning of 22. Yeah, it it wasn't that long ago where where schools were so closed. So that was a surprise, I think, for a lot of people. 
There is a serious problem in this country and in Michigan. I don't think it receives enough attention It's or, or, or in terms of a solution for this. That's the opioid crisis and now even more specifically fentanyl. Gretchen Whitmer has, was asked first about this crisis. She said she is expanding insurance and, and Medicare access. She didn't mention the border, the U.S. border with Mexico. You did. Explain why. Obviously, that's where this is coming from. And we have a huge problem in this state. We had the highest number of overdoses in 2021. She didn't even comment on that. She didn't comment about getting drugs off the street. She didn't comment about being tougher on crime. She didn't comment about any of that. Talking about health care at first, even my team said we were curious as to whether or not she had even heard the question because her answer had nothing to do with taking care of this problem because she doesn't have solutions. She says she supports the police. We went to the sheriff's convention on Sunday. They said, you know what? We invited the governor. Obviously, it wasn't important to her. She didn't bother to come in. They're concerned because they have things they'd like to talk to her about, tell her how big of a problem we have on the streets right now. She's just completely ignoring them. But if you hear her, she wants to get the soundbite out that she supports police. She's not tough on crime. She's not tough on the opioid crisis. And, of course, she's never going to say anything about the border because she's backing Biden 100 percent. Every time Joe Biden comes out with a new policy, you can guarantee there's going to be a tweet from Gretchen Whitmer saying she's riding with Biden. On the issue of abortion, I'm watching the two of you standing there, and Gretchen Whitmer says that Proposal 3 will not take parental consent away. And you say that it absolutely will. Is one of you lying or is this a gray area? The the bill is written, it's pretty clear that it's going to make all laws null and void that we have on the books right now. The fact that she would even say that, and it, and it clearly states that an individual is allowed to make the choice, not an adult, an individual, which means that there will be no parental consent law anymore on the books in the state of Michigan. And an inv- individual means a person of any age can make this decision without a parent knowing. And it's not just a decision on abortion. It's a decision on sterilization as well. That's why you have so many parents that are concerned. Wait a minute. We're already having this problem in our schools. Where we're talking about sex and gender at such a young age. And now we're going to make it so that kids can get puberty blockers without their parents knowing. She doesn't want to talk about it because the fact of the matter is, it's true. That would be language in the Constitution, and you're not going to change that language. And it's incredibly dangerous for young people in this state. I want you to uh, answer this because you didn't get a chance uh, that I remember last night. And I was there to respond to this accusation from Governor Gretchen Wimmer. She said that you specifically are out there stoking violence by your rhetoric, oh, however it was. She didn't cite examples, but she said you're you're basically dangerous and you're stoking violence. What do you say to that claim? It's a desperate attempt to try to distract from her own record. We've been out there talking to people, listening to people, talking to people about the issues that matter. But I'll tell you, she spent $25 million stoking violence, claiming that I would put people in jail. I've gotten death threats against my daughters. I have messages every single day. And the news came out and asked me at one of the news stations that you say that you're getting these threats prove it to us. It took me about 15 minutes to pull up 10 different threats and send them to them. And I think they were shocked because when you start going after people and saying you're going to fight like hell every day, you don't see that on my Twitter feed. You don't see me threatening things like that. She's out there with this divisive language, threatening fighting every single day. And guess what? It's effective. 
I'm getting death threats. My girls are under watch constantly. We've had people sitting in the street in the front, in front of my front yard, taking pictures of my daughters. The only person that is talking with fighting language is Gretchen Whitmer. We're going out and listening to people and finding out exactly what they need for the state of Michigan. We only have a couple seconds left, but what are you going to do down the stretch? The debate was the last chance for everyone to see you guys side by side. What happens between now and November 8th? We'll be out on the road every single day. We'll be having rallies. We'll be talking to people, coming on shows like yours. We're not going away. We're going to be out there every single day pushing as hard as possible until Election Day. All right. Well, stay safe. We know the death threats are real, and we appreciate you joining us this morning. Uh, Tudor Dixon, gubernatorial candidate for the GOP candidate for the governor of Michigan. Tudor, thank you. Thank you so much. Tudor Dixon's Lieutenant Governor running mate, State Rep Shane Hernandez, also talked Tuesday's debate with Kevin and Tom. All right. You know, the, the debate last night, it was good. It was excellent. It was informative in terms of really identifying where these candidates stand, differentiating the candidates, talking about Tudor Dixon and Gretchen Whitmer in the gubernatorial debate. I thought they were well prepared. Uh, They knew their points. They understood deeply why they are committed to their individual perspectives on some of the most important issues facing, I think, Michiganders in the midterms, uh, the, the economy, inflation, crime, education, the COVID response and abortion Kevin, I think all of it and more was really and a debated partridge last in a pear tree. Yeah, and a partridge <laughs> in a pear tree. That'll be coming in a, few, a couple of months. <laughs> we, we have not had a chance to speak with Shane Hernandez, no. who hopes to be our next uh, lieutenant governor, and we are happy to welcome him onto the show. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing great. We appreciate you coming on. Uh, Tudor Dixon's never held political office, but you certainly have. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you bring to the ticket? Yeah, I mean, after spending uh, 12 years in the commercial architecture world, I uh, ran for state house. I served for four years in the legislature, uh, chaired the transportation budget in my first term and chaired the uh, House Appropriations Committee in my second term. So I think I bring uh, a lot of expertise on on issues that matter to the people of Michigan, uh, whether it be transportation and infrastructure in the budget or um, the, the tax structure of Michigan and how do we balance that budget well giving tax relief to children, seniors, and families as well. Last night we heard Gretchen Whitmer talk about bipartisan efforts at least a dozen times. Uh, is is she being truthful? You were there. It, it, has she been reaching out across the aisle, or is this BS? I, I mean, I'll tell you, so I chaired the Appropriations Committee, uh, which, which is dealing with a, a $62, 63000000000 billion budget at that time. I never once met with the governor to discuss the budget. Uh, she never reached out to talk about it. And I think some of the actions you saw while I was chair shows what the governor truly was when when we were trying to find a real road solution as opposed to a 45 cent tax that people can't afford. When we were talking about $800 million more for roads out of the existing budget. And, and what did we get in return? We got her vetoing road funding. She vetoed rural hospital funding. She vetoed funding for county road patrols, county correctional facilities, autism funding. Uh, she abused the admin transfer board and moved a billion dollars around. Uh, that's who the governor really is. Uh, she's not this bipartisan governor that she claimed she was. Uh, and that's only popped up in the last two weeks as she's seen the polls starting to get close. Uh, Shane Hernandez was speaking with him right now. I remember that very vividly uh, when she said during that uh, time when she was pushing for the 45 cent gas tax, you were out there fighting against it. 
I'm not surprised to say you, you didn't meet with the governor because I've heard that from other senators, other state reps as well. They never even met her. But she was saying that uh, the Republicans don't have a plan to fix the roads. And then when you showed her the plan, she said, well, yeah, but it's not a real plan. Um, she did find some funding. But can you talk about more in depth your plans that you had in place that you offered to the governor to help fix the roads in Michigan? Because they're, they're still not fixed. And do you believe those same plans would be beneficial in the next term to put forward? Definitely. You go all around the state and the first thing you hear from people, they, they ask you the question, is everything I'm paying at the pump going to the roads? And the answer to that is no, it's not. You're paying a sales tax on gas that doesn't go to roads. And that was the plan the House Republicans rolled out at the time was to uh, make that sales tax a gas tax. So it was it was revenue neutral, um, but that sent that money to the roads. And, and we did a lot of work to make sure that when that shift was done, that our schools were held harmless, our local governments were, were held harmless. And what that did at that time was it gave $850 million more to the roads. That brought certainty that that money would be there every single year, not just a, a one-time thing like what she's doing now with this bonding plan. And, and you'll hear construction companies, if, they, if they'll be open with you, and obviously they want, uh, they want that funding. But the reality is when you do it as, as bonding, that doesn't help them have any confidence that it's there for the long term and help them expand their companies and expand their capacity to build more roads. What does that is when you secure that revenue source for for good going forward, like we did by shifting that sales tax. You know, uh, there are a number of schools even here in 2022 that we're still considering shutting down. That includes in Detroit and in Flint and some major school districts in the state of Michigan. Last night, Governor Whitmer said the, sh- the schools weren't shut down more than three months. When you heard her say that, what was your thought? I mean, the same as uh, as tutors and, and the people of Michigan know that's simply not true. Um, and, and they're frustrated because not only were they shut down for longer, but this governor has vetoed every opportunity that this legislature sent her to help families have the resources to catch their kids up, whether it, it be grants to go uh, right to the parents so that they could get tutoring, they could do summer school, online school, she's vetoed those opportunities. Were there uh, retaliation vetoes on good legislation because Governor Whitmer did not get her way on the 45-cent gas tax to fix the roads or on other issues? Well, I think the budget's the perfect example of the, those kinds of vetoes. I mean, why, why veto rural hospital funding? Uh, is that because rural hospitals tend to be in in uh, conservative areas that didn't vote for you. I mean, there's, there's really no reason behind vetoing something like that that's in the budget every single year. It, it didn't make any sense. So I, I absolutely believe those things happened. It was her way or the highway. You know, in her closing statements last night, uh, Governor Whitmer, she reiterated that in her second term, this is what she's going to do as if she was doing this in her first term, that she's going to stay focused. She's going to bring good jobs and retirement uh, benefits and good schools are going to continue free from crime, you know, and women could feel safe in their own bodies. This was kind of the language in her uh, closing statement. Um, can you point to her record to see that any of those things uh, were successful in her first term? Well, I think she's made it clear in the debates. She isn't interested in talking about her record. She doesn't want to look back and she wants to look forward. And, and, and that may sound great on the surface, but the reality is she doesn't want to look back because she promised all those things last time and we haven't achieved any of them. Uh, she mentioned 
yesterday about spending more money on our schools than, than we ever have. Well, the reality is we're getting worse results with that. We have to look deeper. We have to get back to the basics. We have to make sure that these schools are focusing on, on making sure that our third graders can read uh, and, and not other gender issues that she has going on right now. So I, I think she made it very clear that she doesn't want to talk about her past either because she knows that she's failed on all of those things that she talked about in her closing statement. It would seem very bold to me to stand on a stage like that on uh, statewide television and just tell lies. Um, did Tudor Dixon lie last night? Did Gretchen Whitmer lie last night? Well, I think at, at the end of the day, what you see is that the, the voters see through it. The voters see that there were promises made. There were promises to fix the roads. There were promises to, to fix our education system. And they simply haven't gotten any better. In fact, they've gotten worse. And Tudor Dixon is laying out a plan uh, to to help those help us recover from that. Help have a real plan to fund our roads for the long term. Help get our education focused on the basics. Put parents in control. Be transparent in our schools. And the polls show um, who the voters believe, and, and they have been shifting rapidly. Uh, we got a few seconds left. Shane Hernandez here. I, I want to ask you this because it's important. People are fed up with the uh, lack of bipartisanship, bipartisanship here in the state of Michigan. It, let's say you guys win the office and you're going to deal with some Democratic members of the, of the state legislature. Are you going to be willing to work with them in a very bipartisan way? We have been talking about the issues that families are dealing with at their kitchen table. And I will work with anybody who wants to make sure that our communities are safe. That seems like it should be a pretty simple bipartisan issue. Anybody who wants to make sure that parents know what's going on in their schools and that their kids can read, write, and add, I will work with anybody on that issue. People who want to make sure that we help combat the inflation issues coming from Biden policies by giving more money back to people, seniors, children, families. I will work with, with anybody on those issues, Republican or Democrat. All right, Shane Hernandez, appreciate your time. We have a Republican nominee for Lieutenant Governor. Shane Hernandez, thanks so much, Shane. Democrat Congresswoman Haley Stevens, running for re-election in the 11th, gives the Democrat response on All Talk. Welcome back to the program. You know, there is still a lot of reaction coming in from the governor debate a couple of nights ago between Gretchen Whitmer and Tudor Dixon. There is general agreement. This is in particular, I think, Kevin, uh, it carries more weight than the first because how much closer it is to November the 8th, of course, and because the uh, the gap between the two candidates has closed dramatically, essentially it's a statistical tie. In many races, I mean, for months, Tom, Democrats had the momentum. Uh, the country was excited about electric cars, fiery about the Supreme Court decision on Roe v. Wade and Dobbs. Uh, things were looking fantastic for Democrats, but inflation refused to go away. The Fed raised interest rates. That hasn't worked. So now in the final days, we have high interest rates, high inflation, high gas prices. Many Republicans say they are peaking at just the right time. Are people so mad at the economy they might go and vote straight ticket Republican or is that way too much optimism by conservatives uh, Congresswoman Haley Stevens from the 11th Congressional District joins us now good morning how are you good morning great to be with you yeah Democrats uh, in total control they got the White House they got the Senate they got the House here in Michigan they got the governors they got the Secretary of State they got the Attorney General's office um, are, do Democrats need to do anything in these final two weeks to sway independent voters, or is everything under control? Well, I think the the big reminder that I want to give to voters in these closing weeks is who is going to give us good, stable, trustworthy governance. And 
as you may recall, it wasn't too long ago uh, when we flipped the House of Representatives in 2018. I came to Congress in the middle of the longest, most expensive government shutdown in history. That was given to you by a Republican supermajority, cost this country $11 billion. And now what you see from the other side are uh, time and time again reckless candidates who are threatening to default on our debt. So, uh, you know, if you think inflation is troubling now, there are people who will default on our debt, who will put us in a cataclysmic global situation, not putting America first. We have a governor who led us through a pandemic, who is focused every single day on our economic resurgence. She was endorsed by the Michigan Manufacturers Association because her dedication to the lifeblood of Michigan's preeminent industry. And she's fired up about it, as am I. So I go to Washington, one, to do and deliver for the people who elect me here in Oakland County, but two, to brag, to champion who we are uh, with my colleagues and on the national stage. And trust me, there's a whole heck of a lot to brag about. Yeah, the Democrats have the White House, the House, and the Senate, uh, which is the perfect opportunity to get things done. The polls seem to think that the House will flip. If that happens, how will things be different in Washington? Well, look, don't underestimate our ability to come together as Midwesterners to get things done. There is a a, a real uh, opportunity for us as Great Lakes uh, members of Congress to to come together through our sustainability agenda, our manufacturing agenda. I, I got to Congress and I said, hey, I'm willing to work with anyone who cares about innovation, manufacturing, workforce development. And that's how I got my first bill signed into law under a president who didn't share my party within my first year in Congress. Not many new members of Congress can say that. You've also seen with our governor, you know, nearly a thousand bipartisan bills signed, a balanced budget, uh, a plussed up rainy day fund, all done with a Republican legislature. And also the investments that we're now seeing come into our economy through the SOAR initiative, which was recent legislation saying, hey, we want to make sure that we've got battery technologies here in Michigan that were competitive with other states. They acted quickly. They acted in a bipartisan way. I'm proud of our governor to do that every single day. In the the debate, uh, Congresswoman, Governor Whitmer, she rightly cited this major challenge in her term as being the pandemic, uh, which she says uh, stalled her economic plans. But there's no question Michigan's economy is still hurting. Uh, more so than maybe more than 40 other states in terms of recovery. Do you believe the governor's pandemic response was the appropriate response, or could she have done anything differently? Well, look, I what I see in, in Michigan is proliferating in investment, uh, new battery technologies. Certainly our original equipment manufacturers are managing through continued supply chain disruptions. I'm focused every single day on our access to commodities and critical minerals. This is something I've spent my my life focused on. And look, I have talked to Democrats, Republicans, and independents alike. This pandemic was not easy. You're asking a very critical question. Uh, certainly some of the uh, educational outcomes and setbacks as a result of COVID-19. It's not Governor Whitmer, it is a pandemic. But what we have is someone who is willing to invest in education, willing to listen to our educators, our parents, our, our, our schools, 
certainly there was that uh, what she cited in the debate, the the local control. We had that here in, 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 in Oakland County. There wasn't a playbook for it. But what you saw with Governor Whitmer was just that true leadership with uh, without really a lot of precedent, good, stable leadership that is going to continue to carry our state through the next side. And you can compare her to her opponent. Her opponent is only talking negative. I haven't seen a positive vision. In fact, I haven't seen a plan from Tudor Dixon. But what I have seen from Governor Whitmer is energy, enthusiasm and a proven track record. No offense, guys. I, I I know you host a radio show. I don't think we need another talk show host as the governor of Michigan. Well, let's go this way. Uh, when we look back, you know, you said there's a lot to brag about with the, the Whitmer administration, what Democrats have done over the past uh, few years. Do you believe that Michigan is better off now than four years ago? And if so, how? Well, I said that I like to brag about who we are as Michiganders. And I like to brag about our workforce, our cutting-edge training programs, um, our unionized workforce that a- a- every single day is, is out there, uh, you know, fixing the roads, making sure that there's safety, building our automobiles, and making our cities go round. I, I think Michigan is an example of the, the moonshot of the next 50 years where we're changing our automotive industry. We're ushering in new technologies and innovations of the future. That's what fires me up. I think in terms of the classic question, are you better off? I, I think more so it's have you had leadership that you trust? Have you had leadership that has been consistent, honest, and transparent, not governing by tweets, fear-mongering, and, and a race to the bottom? I go into Washington, and I, I know the governor goes to, to Lansing with people who don't believe in government, who don't want to solve problems. And frankly, I, I believe we've got to come together to be able to do that. That's why I'm, you know, a pragmatic individual who's a member of the Problem Solvers Caucus, uh, coming together any way I can to to deliver for folks. And we've gotten that shots in people's arms, a historic infrastructure bill, the largest investment ever in our Great Lakes, a bipartisan gun safety bill in the wake of the horrible Oxford shooting that happened uh, just shy of a year ago now that rocked southeastern Michigan. Well, and so we need that. WJR was the exclusive carrier of the 10th Congressional District debate between Republican businessman John James and Macomb County Judge Carl Marlinga on the Democrat side. Both men appeared on the Paul W. Smith show ahead of the debate for a preview, starting with John James. Lots going on today, and you'll hear about it tonight. 7 o'clock live, uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer and her opponent, Tudor Dixon, who would also like to be governor, will be going at it live at 7 o'clock on WJR. Immediately following that, in a pre-taped debate at 8 o'clock, it will be John James and Carl Merlinga. They'll actually be uh, doing this uh, debate this afternoon. Uh, But we will replay it uh, in the evening, and uh, our guys... Tom Jordan and Kevin Dietz from WJR All Talk will be the moderators. So that'll be uh, great. And that'll be exclusively on WJR. You won't find that anywhere else. So I hope you'll be with us tonight for that. Getting ready for it is the GOP candidate for the new 10th Congressional House seat, John James, who's on the other end of our line right now. John, always a pleasure. Good morning. 
Good morning. Good morning, Paul W. How's everybody doing out there? I think everybody's doing well. Yeah, I the mean, weather's been great for the tail end of October. I, I, I've i been in Michigan for 41 years, and, you know, save being in the military and getting deployed. But this is probably the warmest late October I've ever experienced. The, the colors are great. Uh, getting the kids out to the cider mills uh, is wonderful, and they're not all bundled up. It's uh, It's just been great out there. It has been. It was a great summer with a great run of some of the best weather ever. And now a great fall, and uh, enjoy it while you can. We know what, what is coming. Meanwhile, That's right, Michigan, Michigan State. Yeah. That's right. That's well, with coming. your degree from, uh, among other places, the Ross School of Business, I don't have to ask you who you're rooting for. Well, you know, uh, yes, uh, Go Blue, uh, University of Michigan fan. Uh, but I, when they played a couple years ago, Against West Point, I actually found myself rooting against uh, against my alma mater, uh, West Point United States Military Academy. But uh, actually, Michigan played Penn State, uh, just uh, smashed, absolutely smashed Penn State. And I also went to Penn State. Right. I got my first master's degree in supply chain management. Good timing. Um, yes, yeah, so supply chain management. And, and wouldn't you know it, that's exactly right. Uh, I've been listening to your show, and, and there was just a commercial on about uh, uh, understanding supply chain and and, uh, and the risks and uncertainty going on in the world. And my goodness, wouldn't it be great to have somebody from the 10th Congressional District with a degree in supply chain management who runs a business in automotive supply chain and understands manufacturing? Wouldn't it be great to have somebody with that experience? Do you know anybody with that experience? Do you no, know? I think there's, a, there's this guy named John James who really has a passion for service, loves Michigan football, and has a supply chain degree and experience who can help make sure that we have a, a better and, and more sustainable future, bringing down these prices, bringing back jobs, and making our community safer. Michigan's newly drawn 10th Congressional District, consisting of Macomb County, south of M59, Shelby Township, part of Macomb Township, as well as Rochester and Rochester Hills in Oakland County. Obviously, John James would like to be the man in that seat, and uh, therefore he is doing this debate today with Judge Carl Marlinga. Now, you've the certainly... Best, the, the best district in the entire country. Did you know that this will be the number one manufacturing district in the entire nation? And actually... The very first time that both the Arsenal of Democracy and Selfridge Air National Guard Base are going to be in the same district at the same time. Wow. This is going to be an amazing opportunity and, uh, and to, to send a combat veteran who understands uh, not only what it takes to keep this nation safe uh, in these uncertain times, but also a, a businessman who understands manufacturing, understands what folks in the district go through every day, uh, who, who can help take Macomb to the next level. I'm, I'm excited to continue to earn the trust and support of, uh, of my future new neighbors um, very shortly here in the next two weeks. My goodness, John, it's, what is it, 740 in the morning. You better pace yourself, pal, because you're on fire. You're on fire early with a lot of energy. you got to have that same energy well, you know, when you do I the debate. I have three beautiful boys. My wife, Liz, um, God bless her, three beautiful boys. Had to get them off to school this morning. And, uh, you know, we, we get started early in the James household. And uh, just like folks in the district who work hard, they have to get up at, at 5, 6 in the morning, and, uh, and they have to make it into work. And a lot of those folks struggle with making decisions. I, when I walk around in the district and I talk to folks either knocking on their doors or visiting on, on the shop floor, uh, going up Grossbeck and Gratiot in particular, and they're talking about some of the, the decisions they have to make 
with, with gas high and, and folks with pickup trucks and SUVs, they're having to make tough decisions about um, uh, putting gas in their tanks or uh, how much, how many groceries they, 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 they buy. Uh, I, I actually, um, it, it, it really kind of breaks your heart when you see kind of the decisions that people are making. And, right. and when you have somebody with the tools to actually help, it really animates someone. And, and having a young family here uh, and, and reminds me uh, why I'm working so hard. When I talk to folks in the district, it reminds me why I'm working so hard. Uh, and I'm just, I'm really excited for this debate this evening. We got prime time, Paul. We got prime time, 8 o'clock. Be there. Tune in. It's going to be wonderful. I've interviewed you a number of times. I don't remember this much energy this quick, uh, but I'm happy to hear it. And so before I let you go, yeah, because you can't control everything that happens in a debate, tell my WJR listeners something you definitely need them to know about you that they might not know and you might not be able to express tonight. Uh, sure. Uh, the Something that, that uh, you might not know uh, about me is... Uh, is I have a passion for service. Uh, I'm not doing this for any other reason than the fact that the good Lord has broken my heart for people who can't speak for themselves, for people who can't fight for themselves, for people who can't stand for themselves. And I recognize being the son of two parents who came from the Jim Crow South, just like so many people from the 10th Congressional District emigrated from all over the world, all over the country. Uh, I have a passion to serve and to give back to make sure we protect the American dream for future generations. Uh, I, I see that I have an amazing fit uh, for this district, both in my experience and my background, and I'm excited to earn your trust and support. God bless you. Go to johnjamesmi.com, and hopefully you get your support. God bless you, John, and we'll look forward to, uh, to watching you and hearing you, well, hearing you tonight at 8 o'clock on WJR right after the gubernatorial debate. And I wish you good luck and uh, and good luck with the rest of your campaign. Love you, Paul. Talk soon. Bye. John James, the GOP candidate for the 10th Congressional House seat. On the Democrat side, Judge Carl Marlinga. You're at the right station for all the right action for over 100 years. WJR has been serving this part of our world. And in a very big way, we continue that service tonight. We'll have the gubernatorial debate at 7 o'clock live and then a replay, first time it'll be heard, a debate of the two gentlemen who'd like to be at Michigan's newly drawn 10th Congressional District, which, as I mentioned a moment ago, consists of Macomb County South of M59, Shelby Township, part of Macomb Township, as well as Rochester and Rochester Hills in Oakland County. Uh, I do not have to... I don't think I need to ask our next guest uh, who he is rooting for in the Michigan-Michigan State game this weekend because among other degrees, one from uh, the University of Detroit Mercy uh, with uh, honors, he got his J.D. from the University of Michigan Law School. So can I assume, Carl, that you're rooting for for Michigan this weekend? Go blue, and if it costs me some votes, uh, well, you can't win them all, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Your Honor, welcome back to the Paul W. Smith Show. We've been talking to you for years, but it's been a while now that you are uh, a a Democrat candidate for the 10th Congressional District, uh, and you will debate uh, this afternoon. It'll be played tonight on WJR at 8 o'clock, and we're looking forward to it. We have known you longer than most people that uh, we know that are running for office. and But there might be something that we don't know about you, Your Honor, 
that you may not be able to get into your debate. So I want you to take the moment now and tell us what you think is most important about you, just in case you can't express that tonight. Well, one thing we probably won't touch on is uh, my work with the mentally ill. The uh, the mental health court was a uh, creation of mine, uh, having an alternative uh, means to deal with people who have chronic mentally ill problems in the criminal justice system. Uh, we uh, we've set that up, and through the uh, eight years that it was in existence, uh, we had the wonderful record of not one of our graduates ever recidivated, committed another crime. Wow! And it's 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 a less I, it's an amazing stat. Uh, now there were people who washed out along the way. I mean, not everybody completes a two-year probationary program, um, but with intense uh, uh, medical and mental health uh, counseling uh, throughout the two years, in addition to appearing before me every week. The graduates who made it through uh, are an example of uh, how we can reform uh, people in the criminal justice system. And and it's a lesson I would like to take to Washington. But you're right. This is one of those things that, you know, in talking about uh, uh, the choice issue and inflation and things like that, um, we're probably not going to spend a lot of time talking about it tonight. But I'm glad you asked about it because it's near and dear to my heart, because when we when we treat a person well in the in the system and actually allow them to rehabilitate, it has two great advantages. First of all, it means that their life is forever changed. Secondly, it means that all of us as citizens are protected because these people are not committing the breaking and enterings, the car thefts, um, because uh, they, they found a new path. And so, uh, but thanks for asking that. I really appreciate it, Paul. Well, it, it's how we learn certain things about people. And we We already know you were a judge of the Michigan 16th Circuit Court. We knew you as the Macomb County prosecutor. Might have been when we first started uh, talking with you. I'm not sure. You worked as an assistant United States attorney, uh, adjunct professor for the Wayne State University Criminal Justice Department. Uh, There's a lot of different things you've done, but what we've just learned is it appears that, and I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but from what you just said, it appears that out of all those things you did, which you did successfully, uh, the mental health issue was one that you kind of personally think was most important. You know, thanks for pointing that out. It really is not something I get to talk a a lot about, um, but but it's important and I want to talk about it. Um, But yeah, the National Association for the Mentally Ill gave me an award. Um, uh, Look, at and, and again, it's a twofold thing. First of all, uh, you, you have to do the work to help the people who need it the most, but it has this uh, wonderful, great side benefit of uh, making us all a little bit more safe. So, but thank you for that. What okay. else uh, is important to you in this, in representing this new district? Well, the, uh, representing, I think, is a key word. Um, uh, you know, Mr. James, uh, very good guy. I like him when we were gathering signatures on our petitions. Um, he's a great fellow to be with. Uh, but he does not live in the district. I do. And I think that representation is important. This is the House of Representatives, meaning that you go to Washington to represent your community. If you're not a part of the community, um, you can still do a job, but it's not the job really of being a representative. And so, um, again, it's perfectly legal. The Constitution permits Mr. James and others, if they don't want to live in the district, that you, you don't have to. Uh, but by long tradition, it, it's the way to go. Secondly, there's a clear division in terms of policy on the choice issue. I'm pro-choice. Mr. James says that he's 100% pro-life, and that's. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. That's a decision for the voters to decide which side of the line they are on in that one. 
And then the last thing, I, though, I, I think I think we have to talk about inflation. I think we have to talk about our economy. And um, I know that Mr. James is sincere in wanting to do something about inflation, but I haven't really heard exactly how he plans to combat it. The way that I look at it is that it's a worldwide problem created mostly by the crisis, by the war in Ukraine, and that um, uh, the the Russians, the Iranians, um, have a vested interest in hiking oil prices and holding millions of barrels of oil off the market in order to increase the inflationary pressures across the world and the United States. With the with the with Ukraine being a source of so much grain for Europe, there's an added inflation cost because of the cost of food. So what we have to do is that we have to make sure that this war winds up as quickly as possible with Ukraine being granted its full independence and freedom as it was before the vicious, brutal invasion of uh, that bad man, Putin. Uh, and um, once we do that, then I think we have to stand up to the OPEC uh, oil countries, Russia and Iran, Saudi Arabia, all of them, and say that we're not going to let you manipulate our prices and cause us this inflation push. Because look, at when a trucker fills up his or her gas tank and it costs $2,000 rather than $500, mm. that cost comes back to all of us in terms of increased prices of oranges, paper towels, Rice Krispies, uh, everything at the store goes up. And so if we could get a hold of the OPEC countries and say, we're not going to take this anymore, um, we would have a big, big uh, edge in the fight against inflation. And we do that, frankly, um, by by letting the OPEC countries know that we can turn to renewable sources of energy. Now, I know that a lot of people talk about this in terms of saving the planet from climate change. That's an added benefit. But what I'm talking about is just basically making the world economy a better place for us by letting the OPEC countries know that, look, at, um, if you raise your prices, if you withhold oil, that's going to drive our decision more and more to go to uh, EV vehicles, to heat pumps for heating our homes, to solar panels, to wind power, to tidal power. By the way, the last thing on this, the, the core temperature of the Earth, because of gravity and the compression of gravity, is as hot as the surface of the sun. We have an endless source of heat that you only have to go down about 40, 50 feet to start tapping to be uh, a part of our energy reserves. In addition to that, we could we can drill our own oil uh, on, on our own land in the United States, but we got to get away from OPEC. Carl, That's the way to be. We do indeed. We would like to get back to energy independence if we could, and I'm sure you guys will talk about that tonight, but we're out of time. Uh, Judge uh, okay. Carl Marlinga, good luck today in your debate. And uh, in this campaign, good luck to you. So good talking to you, Paul. Thank, thank nice you. Nice talking okay. to you, Judge Carl Marlinga. They'll do it for this week's Pod Sui Voters Guide. Keep it tuned to AM 760 WJR and thegreatvoice.com all election season long. See you next time.